Hello everybody, Bolsey here again. I'm sitting in our lovely clubhouse at Burr Hill waiting to record the next of our series of podcasts. For those of you who don't know me so well, I was captain of this wonderful golf club in 2017 and I mentioned that as a way of identification simply because today we're going to be talking to this year's captains, Kevin and Lisa Smith. They are of course a married couple, I say of course, I mean Smith is a fairly common surname so they might not be, but they are in fact a married couple. They're not the first married couple to take on the role jointly but the last married couple to do so was 70 years ago. So this is quite a significant moment in time. For those of you who don't know them, they come from Euston, not the part of North London with the big train station, but the town in Texas. I always used to call it Houston, but according to the indigenous population we're about to talk to, that is not how to pronounce it. So let's find out a little bit about their background, and what their hopes are for their year at Burhill. Welcome, Kevin and Lisa Smith. Thank you, Adrian. Thank you. So, I think it's only right and proper, Kevin, that we start with Lisa. Absolutely. Uh, uh, because I've seen at the AGM that uh, she is, in fact, in charge. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> uh, so, Lisa, how did you two meet? How did you end up in the UK? Well, what's the backstory behind Kevin and Lisa Smith? I think it was his lucky day, Adrian, when oh, he met me. I, I can't disagree with that, Lisa. <laughs> he chose my name on a blind date, and that was uh, 40 years ago. We met at university, Texas A&M, uh, right above Houston, about an hour. Uh, we moved to the UK in 2004. Uh, that was our first international move, although we had both worked extensively overseas. I've worked for 32 years and I retired two years ago. Um, I had a combination of Hewlett Packard for 17 of those, um, both in the US and also here in the UK. I also worked for 3M in Bracknell and I worked for an international school over in Thorpe. So um, yeah, I did, most of my career was cost and contract negotiations for Hewlett Packard. Um, at the time that they outsourced their laptops and their desktop business to the Far East, that was Lisa Smith doing that. They kept the server business in-house in at HP, but the laptops and desktops were built elsewhere. Mm -hmm. so that's what I did. Oh, right. Yeah, I remember you being pretty much on top of the costs on the social computer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that figures now. That figures. Okay, so what actually brought you to the UK? Presumably it was your work, Kevin. Yeah, yes. Uh, I was in an international group of an oil and gas company based out of Houston, and I was traveling three to four months a, a year. And I finally told my boss, I'm missing my family, want to be closer, and we had opened a, an office uh, in Malaysia and one here in London. And he said, well, you can have your choice of either posting. So I chose Malaysia and my family chose London. So I ended up in London and uh, we moved here in 2004. And then uh, we built up a business, uh, made a few discoveries in the uh, Southern Gas Basin. And then uh, we sold the business in 2007 and uh, rather than take another transfer. We loved it here so much we elected to stay so I changed companies and went to work for a Japanese company, Sumitomo, and uh, became CEO and ran their 
uh, North Sea Oil and Gas Exploration Production Division. And I know for a fact that you two decided to become British citizens as well. And I remember a conversation when you and I, Lisa, were on the social committee together about how tricky the exam was. And you gave me the book, and I couldn't answer half of the questions, but what, what prompted you to say, OK, we're going to become British citizens? Well, I think the, uh, the big driver for us was that we really loved living in the UK. We wanted to stay. We uh, wanted our kids to have that flexibility uh, to work and live in the EU. And of course, now that's all gone, but, uh, but uh, they, uh, my son went to a university at Newcastle, and so he's become very local very quickly. My daughter moved back after university. She was in Syracuse, New York. She worked a little in New York City and then came back uh, to London, and of course, what's not to love about living in London and, and the South? And So we all just, uh, just were in love with the place, and we wanted to make it our home. And why Burr Hill? What, what drew you to Burr Hill? Well, it ticked a lot of boxes. Uh, I, we were doing pay and plays, uh, the silver mirrors uh, of the world, and Pine Ridge and that sort of thing. And uh, when I, we became locals and got our citizenship, we decided that, that we needed to join a local club. We wanted to be part of the local community. And so we looked at all the clubs that are in this area, whether there are something 130 clubs or something in Surrey. And uh, this ticked so many boxes. A great practice facility, which I really like. Uh, it has two courses. Uh, I love the uh, no tea times, uh, so I can just ruck up and play any time. But I think the uh, overriding factor was just how welcoming and friendly everybody was to us when we first got here. And you, know, you couldn't ask for a nicer group of people who just were very inclusive. And although we had a strange accent, they just didn't care because most of the uh, members here have either, either lived or traveled extensively overseas. And so it's, we're not foreign. Yeah, no, that's true. You know, when my year as captain, you do find that everybody is incredibly welcoming and friendly to new people, new members, etc. So, uh, no, I'd agree with all of that. So, uh, the AGM was a great success, I felt. Um, the Tex-Mex food was uh, very good. Uh, and Lisa's drive, obviously, was uh, <laughs> spectacularly good. One of the best we've seen in the last few years, I think. So, tell me a little bit about your golf, Lisa. What's... Uh, sort of background story, how did you get into the game? Well, I met Kevin and uh, his dad gave him some very wise advice. He said, Kevin, if you want to play more golf, you have to get the wife involved. And so uh, that was 35 years ago. And so he promptly did that. Um, we were in Houston just playing casual golf on Sunday afternoon, hit the ball around with the kids. So we didn't, we were a member of a club, but we didn't have a proper handicap. So when we joined Burr Hill. Uh, that's when I got my handicap and um, I'm playing golf at 14 now, uh, plus or minus. You know, sometimes I'm a 14, sometimes I'm a 36. I don't know what's going to show up on the day. That's the uh, same for all of us, I think. I've, I've, I've played with you, Lisa. It's more often nearer the 14 I've seen. <laughs> and uh, Kevin, how did you get into the game then? Was it uh, really a misspent youth? Um, being from a small South Texas town, there wasn't a lot to do. And uh, we did have one municipal golf course and a nine-hole country club. We couldn't afford the country club, which I think was a whopping three or four hundred dollars a year or something. So, but we could play for five dollars at the uh, municipal. And so a number of my friends uh, played. And my dad, 
I said, I'd like to learn how to play. And he said, well, I'll get you some clubs. And he went across the border to Mexico, across from Laredo, and bought a brilliant set of Julius Boros persimmon head drivers and irons. And I, it took me about 20 years to figure out who Julius Boros was, and I'm still not sure those were authentic. I think they might have been misspelled in Spanish or something, but um, I did fall in love with the game. It was a completely different game than we play, or I play now. It was dry and dusty, and if, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Tin Cup and that driving range. That's kind of what it looked like at my course. So you learned to hit a very low ball. It ran for miles, and uh, it was, but it was great fun and it kept me off the streets and out of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, I think it does that for most of us. Okay, so what, what are your plans for the year? Obviously you've got a, a charity, which is the local uh, Scouts and Guides, which is a, a great thing. How did, how did you decide on that as your local charity? Uh, Kevin and I were very involved in the Scouts, and so were our kids back in Houston. Uh, our kids um, went from scouting from five to 18 years of age. Our son became an Eagle Scout and our daughter was Gold Award recipient. Um, Kevin and I were leaders all the way through. We were also involved at the area and district levels. And so scouting's always been close to our heart. And so it was a pretty easy choice, honestly, because we wanted to support the girls and, and the boys and Girl Guides and Scouts does just that. Yeah, absolutely. As I was a Boy Scout myself, I, I'm very pleased with yeah. well, it. Well, to add to that, I would, I would just say that there have been so, so many worthy charities that since we've been here, and so many, there's so, many, so much need in the community. And when we uh, elected to, to go with the Scouts, our thought was, that's going to touch so many lives. Uh, as you say, you were a scout. A lot of the members here are either scouts, their children or grandchildren are, are scouts or guides. And so it's something I think everybody can identify with. And the other thing I think was that it was local. Hmm. And, and we hope uh, during this year that as we raise money through the charity uh, uh, functions that, that we can show the progress that they're making for the needs that they have and we can, so the members can, can see where the money is actually being spent and what it's going for. Yeah, because you've actually got some specific targets, haven't you? Some things that they actually need to buy with the money. Yeah, on the Girl Guides, um, their building is a 50-year-old building, just right down from Burr Hill before you even get to Waitrose on the left-hand side there. And they have an unusable kitchen, yet they have 140 girls through that building every week. Wow. And so we're going to install a brand-new kitchen for the Girl Guides. On the Scout side... They serve 630 scouts per week, and so they want two bell-bottom boats for the Sea Scouts. They want two large camping box trailers with their logos on it, and that will be used for all of their camping equipment. They have two already, and they want two more, and they also have some needs for some individual tents as well as patrol tents. So those are the things that we're going to be hoping to raise money for this year. Yeah, that's a great thing, isn't it? Some actual tangible evidence and yes. results of, of where the money's going. I think, uh, I think that's, that's really good, and the fact that it, it's local, as you say. So. Right, and I, the thing about the Scouts is, uh, and I, I think most people who've been in Scouting understand, but those who don't, um, it's not about camping. It's not about just go playing in a field. Uh, the whole purpose of Scouting is to raise up leaders. And if you look through 
most of the countries of the world, uh, especially uh, Britain and the U.S. where scouting is so big, most of the leaders, uh, the politicians, the, uh, the powerful people who are making decisions in other people's lives learned a lot of their values through scouting. And I think that's so important today that the kids have a place where they can learn those values and learn those traits. Yeah, I agree. And what have you sort of got planned, uh, especially for Burhill? How are you sort of going to mark your joint captaincy? Well, I think our primary focus uh, is, is going to uh, be on the social aspect uh, of Burhill. It was such a vibrant uh, atmosphere when we first got here and uh, intervening economic uh, issues uh, have kind of dropped membership and now it's back up again. And I think we just need to get back to that ethos of let's include everybody, let's have more social uh, outings, let's get more people involved uh, in the club itself, not just playing golf, but coming in and meeting other members, uh, spending some time uh, dining with uh, each other, uh, uh, just just having fun and getting to, more importantly, getting to know each other so much better. Yeah, I agree. And and what, what have you got planned? I think you, there was a, an email I saw that said you've got some dining evenings planned. Yeah, we're going to do some wine and dines. They're going to be international themes throughout the year. So we'll do an Irish, we'll do an Italian, we'll do Caribbean, we'll do Portuguese, we'll do American. So we're going to hit all the different nationalities. It'll be around one table, and Kevin and I will always be there. Um, so 24 people each month, and it'll, it'll vary between Wednesdays and Thursdays. Sounds good. Don't, don't get British food. Is it, you know, I just put that in there. Uh, you know, uh, I think we're in Britain. Um, so, no, that's, it does sound, it sounds terrific. And what about golf? Have you, I mean, captains, I speak from experience, I know play an awful lot of golf. Um, are there any sort of special events that you've got planned that we need to put in a diary at some point? Well, absolutely. We've got uh, June 27th is our Captain's Charity Day. And since this is an Olympic year, we're going to celebrate the Olympics. And uh, we're, we've got some special things worked up for that. So I hope everybody can come out and support uh, the scouts and the guides. Uh, it'll be, it'll be a, a great day. Uh, we hope to involve uh, the scouts and the guides and their families in that day so that uh, people get to see and meet them as well. Uh, we will have, again, a Ryder Cup year this year. So we're going to have a special Ryder Cup event uh, at the end of September and we're going to uh, promote a little rivalry here i hope a little uh, competition and then <clears throat> we'll uh, hopefully have a big screen where we can all sit around and watch uh, the proceedings there from whistling straights and kind of tie those results to our results on the golf course so that everybody has a, a reason to stick around and, and cheer and uh, and just have some good fun yeah sounds good sounds good i know you were we tried to do something right a couple of few years ago, didn't we? And it didn't quite work out. But uh, is it? Yeah, I think tying it into more sporting events mm -hmm. is is good. Getting people down here. Well, we've got a tremendous social uh, committee this year, uh, led by Sally Mitchell, and we're already starting to plan. And so we're going to uh, tackle this sooner rather than later, and, and have some build up to it, and really uh, go through and think through all the options so that we present the best. Uh, best events that we can and and really have them well thought out well planned yeah i think it's i think it sounds great it sounds wonderful is there anything else that you two want to talk about yeah i, I just mentioned adrian that you know the boys just got back from portugal 
on their trip. And uh, we're having the first ever Ladies Portugal trip in March. Oh, fantastic. So we're excited about that. James with Stanley, our professional, is going to go with us. And there'll be 15 of us. Um, and he will also stay over for the weekend. And the Academy ladies will be going uh, the next week. So we're excited about that. Uh, we have 173 ladies competitions and matches throughout the year. So we are the largest, if not one of the largest at least, um, ladies section in Surrey. We're very proud of that, actually. Yeah, quite right too. I mean, Burhill's very successful with the ladies teams in the Pearsons and stuff like that, aren't there? Have you got good teams set out for the year? We do. It all handicaps. From uh, scratch all the way up to 32 handicaps. Um, each of them, each of the sections have their own competitions in Surrey, and uh, we are consistently at the semifinals and finals day. Fantastic. We're very proud of that. Yeah, very good indeed. And tell me, Lisa, how does the ladies' academy system work? How do you, what what ladies go into the ladies' academy, and how do they come out of the ladies' academy and become lady members? Yeah, they can. Um, be a part of the academy for two years and then uh, they migrate themselves on hopefully to our ladies section. We've had uh, four that have joined us recently in the last couple of years and so there's about um, 30 of them in the academy right now. And is that handicap based that they have to reach a certain standard or how, how, do, how do they actually get out of the academy? Yeah, yeah James works with them, James Wynn Stanley works with them and so um, yeah, they get to a certain standard. We also invite them for like our ladies jolly at Christmas. So they get to know us a little bit better. We also have coffee mornings with them. So there's an integration process that happens over that time. And I think it's important that uh, it's not so much about getting them to a super high standard of golf. It's getting them comfortable on a golf course around other players of different abilities. And I know James is taking uh, the Academy ladies as well to, to Portugal for a trip to help build some of that uh, friendliness and that, uh, that ability on a, to feel comfortable on a course. So I, I think uh, things like that between what the members are doing, what uh, Burhill staff are doing to integrate new members, and what you're doing uh, is wonderful to, to get uh, new members more comfortable here so that they feel part of the club. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, just from a personal point of view, you and I have just got back from said yes. Portugal trip, mm. um, and you meet a whole raft of people that you haven't met before, 48 of us this right. year. Uh, James and the pros do a fantastic job. Um, but it's a, a great social thing as yes. well. Mm. It's not just about the golf. And, you know, more people get to know more people. It can only be a good thing, can't it? You know, what's, what's surprising to me every time we go on these trips, I find people I've never met, uh, as big a club as it is, you think you know most everyone, but there are some members who only play sporadically because of their work schedules or they have uh, maybe they don't do the roll-ups uh, and that sort of thing. But once you get to talk to them and, and find out more about their history, their lives, their, their jobs, just fascinating people here. Some, some of the things that our members are involved in are just incredible. So uh, it's a great opportunity to meet some fascinating people. Yeah, I'd concur with that. There are some incredibly interesting people you know from RAF test pilots yes. to you know all, all sorts so uh, maybe maybe we should talk to him actually <laughs> anyway okay is there anything else that you want to get off your chest bear your soul about um, <laughs> while we've got the opportunity 
No, I would just say, you know, Kevin and I joined Burt Hill back in 2008, and we didn't know anyone at this club. And we were just uh, quickly integrated into this club and welcomed in this club. So I would just say for anybody that's listening that mm-hmm. has not been a part of Burr Hill, you're really mm-hmm. missing a great golf club. Well, I, I tell two very quick stories. When we first, even before we joined, uh, we said we'd like to play the course just to see if it's a course we like playing. And so we went out on the new course, just Lisa and myself. And as we're standing on the tee, a gentleman walks up and asked if he could join us. And he introduced himself. And I have to uh, admit that's 12 years ago. I don't remember who he was, but he walked around with us for 18 holes and told us everything we could possibly want to know about Burr Hill. It was fascinating and just wonderful uh, welcome into the club. And he was just as friendly and as nice as he can be. And then shortly thereafter, after we had joined, I was out playing the new again by myself. And I just teed off and I was walking near the ladies tee when I heard this shout in the background, excuse me, excuse me. And I thought, what have I done? What have I done? And I looked around and this lady came waving her hands up towards me and said, do you mind if I join you? And it turned out it was Mary Garrett and just a lovely lady. And she and I went around the course course. I think she was a single figure handicap. And I thought, oh no, (laughs) she's going to be so uh, appalled by my play. But uh, we had a lovely round. And again, just another example of a member in the early days who just went out of their way to make you feel welcome. Yeah, I I think that's true. I think that's my experience as well. Everyone is very happy to play with anyone Mm, here. Uh, So it's a a very welcoming club, despite some external views you hear about cliques at golf clubs and so on. Actually, it's just people playing with their mates. It's not a clique. So, uh, no, I think think that's uh, absolutely true. Okay, well, I can't think of anything else to ask you and to talk about at the moment. So, Kevin and Lisa, thank you very much. And I hope you have a huge success this year. It sounds like you've got some great plans. So I'm um, really looking forward to uh, 2020 at Burr Hill. Thank you. Thank you, Adrian. Thank you, Adrian.